Hello and welcome to another episode of The Arriving Somewhere with Matt J Podcast. Commentary, comedy and conversation. How are you? How are you doing fine listener? I'm great. I have been taking a bit of a break from social media, particularly Instagram, because I am being censored and shadow banned up the wazoo. And I'm sorry for the graphic imagery, but that is what it feels like. Now, when it comes to the podcast, I'm just trying to get into a new routine. I'm still trying to put the shows out Monday to Thursday. And uh, if that changes, as I mentioned last week, you will be the first to know uh, what the new format will be. Okay, now that you're all caught up, uh, let's go into this Dreams of a Cashless Society, CBDC stuff, Central Bank Digital Currency stuff that is currently playing out. Uh, there's, there's a paper that I discovered from the University of Auckland, came out in 1999, and it's it's called The Dreams of a Cashless Society, a study of FPOS in New Zealand. Now, there's been warnings about this uh, for decades uh, but this particular paper uh, is talking about the utopian dream, or well, utopian dreams of utopia. Oh, that's just beautiful Shakespearean language there, Matt. But this paper is talking about, so I'll read the abstract. Uh, this paper looks at the way in which utopian dreams, such as the cashless society, influence the adoption of information technology. Some authors claim that utopian visions are used by IT firms to market their services and products, and that the hype that often accompanies technological innovation is part of a large-scale social process. Uh, this article discusses the social role of technological utopianism with respect to the introduction of FPOS in New Zealand. The case of New Zealand is interesting, given that New Zealand has the highest saturation of FPOS terminals in the world. Now, remember this came out in 1999. And, not sure what you call it in your country, um, but FPOS being the electronic funds transfer at the point of sale, your little cards with your your black stripe on it originally. So now, of course, they have chips in them because that was supposed to be for security reasons. And also in New Zealand, FPOS now has kind of been renamed into your debit card. And I find that really interesting because that is a... Well, it's, it's persuasion and it's marketing 101. They call your own money on a card debit yet if you borrow or use a card called a credit card which is a loan it's called a credit card so you've got the positive and negative connotations there and i mean you've got to give them credit yeah it's brilliant persuasion do you really want to use your debit card you're going to use your own money i mean you're not going to get that back your money's gone how about you use a credit card? We'll just extend you some credit. It's not actually, you're not spending your own money. I don't worry about paying it back in the future. That's fine. Interest on it. No, no, it's fine. Here's a loan. And it's on credit. So that's a good thing. Okay, credit. Tick. Green tick. All of that. It's, it's a good thing. Very, very clever. Now, when it comes to this... I'll go into a little bit of this art, uh, this paper sorry, in, in a second. It is 14 pages. I'm not going to go into all of it. I'll read you their conclusion and then just sort of sum up a little bit of what was said and some of the warnings that were coming out from uh, some of these researchers in the 80s and 90s. Uh, 
But I agree with when it comes to a central bank digital currency that we're seeing a massive push for. Now, you can type in CBDC in pretty much any country in the West uh, after that and look up the news and you're more than likely almost almost guaranteed to come up with something showing your country and if you're living in the West pushing a central bank digital currency I just saw something about the Fed uh, Federal Reserve in America is now launching their I, I guess it's a pilot program I haven't read into it too deeply but they have just come out and said that and yeah so basically there's a push for this all around we're seeing it definitely not a conspiracy theory now I agree with George Gammon from the rebel capitalist when he says there's a lot of us for well this is in my opinion here free thinkers that think this is going to be forced upon us and for people like us if you are all about individual rights and sovereignty the the implementation of a central bank digital currency is a direct threat on our freedom it is totalitarianism on steroids i mean i'm not sure what totalitarianism on steroids would be i imagine it's it's totalitarianism you know hulked up I don't know. It's all bad anyway. But for us, it, it's something that is potentially being forced on us. Now, that's bad enough. However, what George Gammon pointed out was that a lot of these kids today going through university, there's potential there that they're going to be desperate to bring it in. They're going to be cheering it on. They want this. And the reason being is you're seeing these university kids come out of these courses the courses are in things like you know seeing them study diversity and critical race theory and this feminist stuff and the climate change climate crisis narrative being pushed in and you're essentially seeing what we're watching is the brainwashing of a generation into radical ideology now if they truly believe that fascism things like trump and the mega crowd are threats if they truly believe that the world is on fire and is being we're all going to die it's all being destroyed the climate crisis is real and we need to make take drastic action then one way to take drastic action is to bring in central bank digital currencies and to be able to control what you spend or what you're able to buy and so i agree with that thought process and that absolutely terrifies me that there's going to be a bunch of people out there, more than you realise, quite willing to bring this in. And it's going to be sold as this is the solution that we need. We just need to take control of everybody's spending. Or guide, nudge your spending into the directions that we think are best. And there's an example that came out of, it was just a small Australian bank, and they were saying that they're going to extend loans to people that are buying electric vehicles not gas powered cars and it's just a small australian bank but it is an example of how a central bank digital currency could work without necessarily forcing it on you it just limits your options so i mean it kind of is forcing it on you but you don't necessarily have a a a digital currency with you in this regard it's just saying well we're only open to people that sign up to buy an electric vehicle extend them alone but if you if you want another particular type of car or brand well sorry we don't give loans for that and of course that's immediately going to impact the lower and middle classes 
so anyway what's interesting i'll go back to this paper the dreams of the cashless society a study of fbos in new zealand well in, in this study they used the study material was collected by one of the authors using unstructured interviews unpublished documents and newspaper and magazine reports now their conclusion their summary is uh, we conclude that the utopian dream of the cashless society has had only a small influence in those responsible for and involved with the development of FPOS in New Zealand. Far more important have been issues such as competition within the banking industry and improved customer service. We acknowledge that new electronic transfer technologies such as stored value smart cards may yet provide success may yet um, prove successful but it remains to be seen if the utopian or anti-utopian dream of the cashless society will ever be realised. I think it's being realised right now, what we're seeing in our time. But they also admit that, the, it also says here, one of the limitations of this research is that we have been concerned with just one electronic payments technology in one country. Another uh, limitation is that we restricted the scope of our research to include only those directly involved with the development of this technology and excluded other interested parties. I think that's kind of key, uh, key here for what they summed up, uh, how they saw the pushing of, of FPOS in New Zealand, um, because those included in the development don't necessarily know where the original ideas came from or who's been pushing it in the first place. So that is a, to me, that's a massive limitation on, on who actually initially pushed FPOS over here. Now, what, what's interesting about this FPOS move and the saturation of it in New Zealand is the warnings that were coming out of it, who actually took over and developed the technology in a way that actually worked or could be put in countrywide. And also an alternative option that was never really pursued. So in the paper it says that the original pushing of CBDCs, oh sorry, the original pushing for FPOS was by the banks. But what's interesting is that the private sector took over when it was too uh, expensive to bring in and, and they wanted it to kind of be, there, there was different machines that you had to have for different cards from different banks. It gets complicated, it won't bore you with the banking industry of New Zealand, although reading this paper it was surprisingly interesting. Uh, but the private sector basically took over and innovated. A big company, an alcoholic company in New Zealand, took over and developed a machine that could accept um, all the various types of cards. So it was the private industry that innovated and made this possible and ultimately reduced the price of how much it cost to actually make these transactions. And... And basically the ease of use. Again, the free market comes in and solves the problem. Now, what's interesting though is there was a thing called um, the the smart card. Now, you could the idea behind a smart card is that you could load your money onto this card without it having your data on it. So an FPOS card, obviously, it's direct. It's connected to your bank. So wherever you're buying that, all that data is being shared everywhere. Now, in today's age, we have no idea where that goes. Really, we know it's between the bank and the retailer, but where else? And um, the idea behind the smart card is that you just load money from your bank and onto your card and be able to go and spend it. 
without giving away your personal data. Now, you could kind of relate that to what we're seeing now with the block, uh, with the development of the blockchain and things like Bitcoin. Now, if you go out, if you could go out and spend Bitcoin on a card, for example, if it was accepted in places, if it was more of a stable uh, price, I, I guess, uh, if, if this was able to be done, it would be similar to the idea anyway of what a smart card was it wouldn't have your data it would just be your money that you're spending when regards to the blockchain and bitcoin it's just the bitcoin that you have without sharing your information but that was never taken up fpos was and i'd assume the banks wanted to keep control so it was basically the fpos thing linked directly to your account became uh well it's sold as convenient and easy you don't have to deal with cash and it even says in this paper actually uh, a particular researcher a glyke in 1997 says cash is heavy expensive to make move count and guard cash is also quaint technologically speaking the notes in your pocket are as outmoded as morse code cash is dying uh blyke he describes in 1997 digital money as perfect money which weighs nothing travels at the speed of light and doesn't get scuffed worn or dirty uh, washman in 1990 claims that criminals will be easier to track down legal judgments easier to, to enforce illegal aliens simpler to spot and debtors unable to avoid their responsibilities he suggests that the cashless society would have a crippling effect on the world drug trade for example now see all of this is how you push in things like back then it was FPOS. Now FPOS clearly has its benefits having a card with cash on it and being able to pay. The problem I see comes when it is your data and ultimately a central bank digital currency which is the next step from FPOS and credit cards is it's a totalitarian's dream technology. Now in this paper again it to their credit they go into the alternative views the warnings um of course it says of course there are those who view the advent of the cashless society with foreboding they see it as yet another way in which the details of our lives become subject to scrutiny baxter in 96 for example sees the cashless society as leading to a one world government isn't that interesting where every person will have a unique number Quoting the book of Revelation in the Bible, Baxter says that without this unique number, the mark of the beast, nobody will be able to buy or sell. Forrester, 1992, says that electronic payment systems give organisations the capability to track individuals and increase the likelihood of invasions of privacy. The ability to store information about all electronic transactions, phone calls, air travel, medical records and so on are potential threats to personal privacy. Now, if these guys are still alive today, it would be be fascinating <laughs> to see their opinions now because we are diving headfirst down that street as you'll probably be aware there's people now actually putting chips inside their palms for example and being able to pay for things or unlock their doors uh, with chips inside their actual body the whole transhumanist movement certainly on the march now this is interesting because um this paper then goes on to say the cultural uh, constitution of FPOS. How did FPOS in New Zealand become so well accepted? Uh, it was culturally constituted through the media, it says, in particular professional and business articles and newspaper magazines. 
Now, the banks, as I mentioned, the banks were the ones behind the promotion of FPOS in the first place. Uh, however, there was considerable resistance from consumers and uh, industry groups to FPOS in the mid to late 80s, main, mostly sorry, because the banks retained sole control. So it was very centralised. And then they came up with solutions to decentralise it, having uh, things like an ombudsman and to, to adjudicate disputed cases over um, uh, FPOS transfers and things like that. And as I mentioned, it was innovated by the private sector and it became cheaper and a lot more common to use. And now in New Zealand, it is very common. When I was a kid in the late 90s anyway, it was very, very common for people that would just whip out the car to pay for things as small as a stick of chewing gum. But yeah, the, the banks were desperate to get this in, uh, according to this paper, and they had to just continuously push the benefits. And that's what we are going to see with, and what we are seeing with a central bank digital currency. And I, in my opinion, what will happen is central bank digital currencies will be likened to Bitcoin. They will use that whole environment to push it on the layman, the everyday man that doesn't really know much about it, to just say, oh, this is just the new technology. You've heard about Bitcoin. It's just that. It's similar to that. That's how I think it will be marketed. It's the way of the future. And you'll be able to pay for things without even, you know, you just blink your eye three times. There'll be some ridiculous advert about how easy it is to use and the benefits and and how cheap it is and you're going to save and that sort of thing. And I think what will happen will be similar to what we're seeing in this paper is that there was massive pushback originally because it was so controlled by the banking sector. And, it, and so they decentralized it more and more and more until it was accepted, promoted the benefits, and then, of course, the private sector innovated and allowed the technology to flourish in all stores, all retail outlets. And now we're seeing it on the internet as well. Now, what we're going to see, as I mentioned, the George Gammon thing with. I do think that that will be a. The push will be that, like lockdowns, like the pandemic like what we saw with people saying we need to protect the vulnerable and they got the herd mentality, the collectivist thing going. And look how many people lined up for experimental meds or put on masks, scanned in. It's for the good of humanity. It's for the good of society, for the collective. That is how I see this being pushed in. I don't think it's going to be in your face now you're all signed up to your country's central bank backed by a one world bank I think all of that will be behind the scenes. But I think there'll be people screaming for this. Desperate to bring this in. Oh, we can solve climate change with this. We can just stop people from buying gas cars or buying steak and meat. That idea is is pretty scary. Now, what I've started doing is, in my everyday life, uh, is what we have now is fiat currency. It's it's currency by decree. It does, it's got no backing by anything. They're just it's just paper, and so I'm not a fan of it. It's not backed by anything, and it's inflated away, so it's not worth anything. And in fact, apparently, there's been no currency, fiat currency, on Earth that has survived. So when you have this money in your hand, that's not actually money. It's currency. It gets inflated away and the value goes. Your hard-working dollar gets deflated by people, the central bankers, the politicians, etc. Printing and borrowing trillions of dollars, as we saw during the uh, the lockdowns. And 
in my mind that is being weaponized right now it's our currencies are being inflated away we're seeing prices of things like electricity go absolutely through the roof and i believe that that's intentional destruction of the currency to bring in something more stable something like a central bank digital currency for all of our modern countries so what i'm doing anyway is i'm still using fiat currency i try to use my card as little as possible as possible and i try and use cash for my purchases now and that's becoming harder and harder we've got supermarkets here for example that have uh, closed down a lot of terminals that actually accept cash and it's by no means a perfect solution to use cash but it needs to be at least we need to try and push it to become uh, popular again or at least a common theme again but we've been conditioned over decades and it's just the ease of use of a card we've just been conditioned to use it ease of use just to tap your card and go and of course in that way you're also spending money so the retailers etc love it now why do you think your credit card's called a credit card the banks want you to use the credit card because it's a loan now you're going to just tap your credit card and go they love that so if you're going to tap your credit card a retailer and a bank they don't mind that's fantastic but um anyway apart from using cash or fiat currency uh, buying actual things that are going to be useful long term I and mean, if you can buy a property if you can buy land if you can buy some precious metals and gold silver whatever it is it's going down the rabbit hole of looking at things that are one actual money and long-term investments and trying to quote unquote get out of the system so to speak as much as you can I've, i know it's it's hard and i know it's not possible for everybody but we're going to all kind of do little things as, as much as we can but i think that this push for the cbdc is going to be done in a way that is not obvious to a lot of people I think it'll be done in a way like that Australian bank that I mentioned that will be just be giving loans to electric vehicle buyers. That's how I think it will be pushed. Could we all have an account at our country, like the Federal Reserve or our country's central bank? Sure, we could. And that's how they could bring in universal basic income. And it's just directly goes into your account. You're kind of seeing that in New Zealand. We had a cost of living payment that came out that went straight through the IRD and then revenue department, tax collectors, that sort of thing, went straight through. And if you're already registered with them and have your bank account with them, that money just appeared in your account. So the systems are all available, are all there for them to set up if they want uh, to bring this in. It's just a matter of getting society on board, how they, how FBOS was kind of pushed. And I think it will be in the guise of decentralization that's not really decentralization. Now, I'll, I'll leave it here with this paper. It says, um, I thought that, so the paper says, this leads us to consider the other extreme, which we've been talking about just now, that the technological anti-utopianism. Uh, technological anti-utopianism paints a bleak picture of the advancing technological age. George Orwell's 1984 is a classic example of this genre. Orwell's phrase, big brother is watching you has become the motto for those who see future progress in it as threatening privacy individual freedom and civil liberties if, if the people writing this paper could see what it's become today i think that they would be quite shocked about how far we've gone down this orwellian big brother is watching you path now i found uh, somebody online who i think pr- pretty much summed up the threat of central bank digital currencies quite well 
I mean, I've mentioned it's basically a totalitarian's dream of to control all of us. So this person online who I won't name, it's just said it's not just about privacy. Digital currencies rely on electronic transactions. What happens when the grid goes down? Cashless societies rely on technology, which sometimes fails. I think that's an extremely important point. As we're seeing the potential for blackouts happening in Europe now in winter, and in, was it the US? Somebody, a company, turned off the people's ability to um, call their homes. The thermostats were turned off, or they couldn't go past a certain temperature. And in New Zealand, I've mentioned before, is that the hot water cylinders here run on a different um, circuit. So the power companies can actually turn off our hot water cylinders if they deem that the, the load to the grid is too high. Now, all of this obviously is um, also a concern for the, the social credit system. Now, if you've got an opinion online and it's all linked on social media, you've got an opinion online that's frowned upon, well, we just won't give you your UBI for the for the week. Or, well, we'll punish you. You won't get a loan. You won't be able to. It's the, the whole threat of the social credit system coming in. If you just have a wrong opinion, it is 1984 or Brave New World coming into reality. Now, this, so this guy's comment goes on. It says, it makes you, or the central bank digital currency also makes you more vulnerable to data breaches. So this is, I think, very important also to get, uh, get, informed and get the hang of how to protect yourself online more i've started to go into that because well it's dark it's pretty scary um so i've started to learn more about it and hopefully take steps to protect myself more and i'll bring those up on this podcast as well as i uncover them and learn more if that's helpful to you Uh, anyway this comment goes on Uh, cbdc opens the consumer up to more transaction fees Cashless could eventually lead to negative interest interest rates, as an example. Uh, and he also says the things that I've mentioned are you lose the freedom of control over your own money. Every dollar you own will be controlled by the banks, which can lock you out or dip into your account at any time. If the banking system collapses, you could lose everything. There'll be more tax. There'll be no selling the odd item on the marketplace without tax or busking, etc., without that being known by the CBDC provider. You will be taxed on everything so i hope that that's kind of given you a bit of a, a rundown on central bank digital currencies using a paper from 1999 about fpos and, and the sorts of things that we can look out for about how they're going to push this into the public psyche and normalize it and if i mean how easy it was to get people to mask up and take an experiment and to scan in if if anything we learned from the pandemic how easy it was to control large groups of people or to rile them up into fear now people can scoff at the whole climate crisis thing is what they're calling it now you can scoff at it and and think people are silly for going along with it but we all thought people were silly for going along with the masks and the scanning and the medicine so the problem becomes how do you get people out of that fear mindset and going along with something that is ultimately going to be worse it's going to be for the detriment of humanity and i think that's what we we just have to keep an eye out for how they're pushing things and get people aware as much as we possibly can and inform ourselves 
more and more and just show the dangers of this coming in. And I think that this FPOS paper, particularly the study out of New Zealand, uh, kind of points to how this will be pushed. And the pandemic was an example of how a PSYOP works to get people to do things. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there for today. I've actually tried to record this particular episode, I think this is the third time, so two times previously, and I've been interrupted every single time. (laughs) So I'll leave this one here for today. And it's something, it's a topic that I'm going to continue to talk about as I get more information and as more, more and more news pops up. It's a very concerning direction that the world, particularly the West, is heading in. CBDCs combined with social credit systems. Oof. No thank you. I want to be on the Brave New World side if you've read the book. Or if you haven't, go read it. I want to be on the Brave New World side that is, is considered in the book the savage side. You know, you just, you're living a normal life. Just leave us alone. Maybe we can have some land and a house and you know, have a family and look after the, the homestead, so to speak, and whatever job that you have. You're just working doing living a a normal what we considered decades ago a normal life wouldn't that be nice i want to be on that side of the brave new world thing not the technological air quotes utopianism or the transhumanist side it's uh it's not fun i don't think that that looks enjoyable at all okay leaving it there and i'll talk to you again soon this has been the arriving somewhere with matt j podcast commentary comedy and conversation. Bye for now.